should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because it's Pride Month and this is part of the woke rules now. <laughs> my name is Kevin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Bendik, better known by his pseudonym, pseudonym, <laughs> that's, that's it, that's my pseudonym, pseudonym, better known by his pseudonym, the Vanilla Thriller, Benedict. I don't like that. What's your favorite Pride song? <sighs> uh... Probably I'm coming out. It's gotta be okay. Going old school with it. Gotta be. You're an old man. You're an old man. Well, it's also only because I I like I really appreciate the way it's used in a Biggie Smalls beat as well. (laughs) (laughs) That is also true. That is also true. Uh, What about you? Uh, For me, Benedict, it's gotta be. And uh, uh, this is the current hit beat of the system of the the uh, system, not the system. Uh, the system, the, the the LGBT system, you know how that we is a, taking we over meetings. America. We have meetings. Uh, yep. uh, the season, rather, the season. Uh, give it to me by the Northern Boys. Uh, blowing up on TikTok. Everyone's using this line right here. Because it's a banger. Because it's a banger, and everyone sure. enjoys it. It's a good time. Great. I have not heard that song. <laughs> Well, you need to go listen to it. Sure. We were just talking before. I've been listening to Pete and Baz all morning. That's what I've been doing. And we've been texting about how fucking great Pete and Baz are. (laughs) Fire in the booth. (laughs) And the Northern Boys are part of, like, the same artist collective as Pete and Baz. And, like, have been on some of their tracks and stuff. Um uh, just don't have the the widespread uh, recognition that Pete and Baz. The do renown yet. of of yeah, of Pete yeah. And Baz. I'm hoping we can raise their profile a little bit. Sure. That's what I'm hoping for. Okay. <laughs> Any whoozle bees, Benedict? Uh, you probably know what it is that we do I here do. on this program. Some folks, folks who don't like Pride Month. Um, and go to Target and throw things on the floor. Uh, Those they would mi- be the people that didn't know what we did on this podcast, to be fair. They wouldn't know. <laughs> they they might would not listen know. to this to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to this Ben Shapiro review, and then they would be very dis- <laughs> Those the are the people that give us one-star one reviews. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's them. <laughs> they might not know what we do here on this program, and then I would say this is the show where we go deep, 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 deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction or fiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do, but just quickly on that, someone on the Patreon suggested that you change it to conservative literature, and that, that flows nicely. So you, know, you could I maybe do that. I saw that pop up on my phone, but then I know you must have gone and checked it, so the alert went away, and then oh, I didn't go and actually read it. 
Yeah, and I so assumed you would tell me because that's I how did, I and literature. now I'm, this is how I'm telling you <laughs> literature, um, which I think is a good idea. My hot take is: Do you remember? And the I remember specifically the fucking episode where I said it because then people yelled at me afterwards. I my hot take on the Von Mises episode like mm-hmm. a year ago was that uh, companies profiteering was part of the cause of inflation, mm-hmm. and then ever people yelled at me on Twitter and Facebook. Even of course it was on Facebook. They were like, "You don't know the first thing about the economy." Blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fucking Wall Street Journal, the New York Times said the same thing this week. So fuck all of you. That's my hot take. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't think it was I a hot take at the time. To be fair. Right before we started. Yeah. No. I, no, I tweeted it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. You always do because you like to point out, I'm so right. I know I, things. Yeah. I was bad. right. I remember every time I, my opinion is challenged and I will tweet to prove that I was right. <laughs> What about you? What's your hot take this week? My hot take this week, Benedict. What am I supposed to do with gold dollars? Coins? Coins of gold? Probably not actual gold. That are dollars? Like the Sacagawea dollars? Is that... No, they're a different one. So I went to the courthouse uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and they had a a pay machine at the the entrance for your parking, um, and I only had a 10 on me, and I put it in there, and it spat out as my change a bunch of gold dollar coins and there goes amazon interrupting the episode as it tells me a package has been delivered from my corporate right. overlords um and so now i have uh, like seven gold coins in my car that i can't spend anywhere because if i took them to a place and tried to hand them to someone they'd be like what the fuck is this this is not a dollar i know what a dollar looks like because nobody knows that we have gold coins in this country because we don't use coins for dollars. I, I have had the Sacagawea dollar before, and they t- they did they did. Uh, but they it's did not me... it's not the Sacagawea one. It's a different one. I don't even it's know what it is. It's a different gold dollar. That's what threw me off. It's something okay. Different. Someone has given you chocolate coins. This <laughs> the United States courthouse is giving me some fucking bullshit fake currency. And I mean, I, you can't I put them like... in like a machine. You can't put them in a parking meter. It won't take it. You can't put it in a, a Coke machine to get a pop. I feel like I, when I got them, I did that. I put it in like a Coke machine or something. I don't think it'll take them. I don't think Try they it. will. But we'll find out, won't we, Benedict? Uh, Listen, I don't know. if, I'm if, if England will dollars. take Scottish pounds. <laughs> Look, I'm swimming in gold dollars right now, and I don't know what to do with them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, Benedict. I don't have an answer for you, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Yeah. Somebody tell me what I can do with these things. <laughs> on to housekeeping this week. Benedict, uh, rate and review us on the iTunes so Benedict won't be sad. Um, mm. Make sure to go do that. Follow Thank us you. on the social medias at NYGDC And Spotify. Pod. You can review us on Spotify too. It doesn't have to be iTunes. Sure, wherever. It doesn't matter. Any place with a star or a thumb. Yeah. Or, or are there other? Is it just stars and thumbs? I think that's the only version uh, of ratings. Generally. Sure. Uh, follow us on the social medias at NYGBC pod on Twitter and at NYGBC Ben. Uh, I don't have any updates this week other than that. As we are recording this, as soon as we're done with this episode, we are going to go record the late already patron only bonus episode for the month of May. We're always late with them. It but that'll be out. out. That'll I, be out before you hear this show. So pro- this is irrelevant. True. True. But if you are a patron and you want to hear it, you can go check it out. Uh, go become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC pod. Um, that's it. That, I don't know why I paused. No, I no, a lot of, lo- no, we've got to acknowledge a lot of pos- positive feedback for the, uh, the old Steven Seagal episode. Thank yeah, you to everyone. People seem to like us, that. uh, reading weird, crazy conspiracy books, yeah. which is the whole point of this show. So 
not all that surprising. Yeah. Uh, but I do have Benedict, one inductee into the spooky world, New World Order. Bleh. And that is, of course, Daniel Duncan 4SC on Twitter, a congressional politician getting around ad campaigns, ad rates one month at a time. Sorry, I read that wrong. Uh, who is the person who suggested that I can replace nonfiction with literature in our opening to the show. But you are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. And I will take it under advisement whether or not I am too lazy to go in and change the Google Doc that I use as my outline <laughs> for this show. Uh, <laughs> can I uh, can I add one as well? Yes, you can. Is that okay? A New World Spooky World Order person? Yes. Um, let me just... Mm, Stephen DeBow, Stephen DeBow, yes. uh, told us on the Patreon again that uh, the 34th maybe refers to the Freemasons. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I don't know enough about the Freemasons. That's not one of the areas of conspiracy that's ever interested me. Uh, but interesting theory, and I'm yep. sure, I hope, I hope that the wonderful writers of uh, the Shadow Wolves will inform us as to what all these various degrees mean. 34th, 35th, and 36th, I think we've learned about so far yeah. in the book. Yeah, yeah, and I'm apparently 33rd is the highest known one. Well, it would be great. It would be great if it was just like this guy coming up with new levels of Freemasonry. <laughs> Anyways, Stephen DeBow, you are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. And of course, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending to others, send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can, drop me a screenshot to let me know, make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. And with all that out of the way, Benedict... Why don't we get up, get up, get into whatever the word is. <laughs> get up. I'm having trouble with uh, like my brain thesaurus today. It Good thing that you don't have to talk for the next hour while I <laughs> interrupt you minimally. <laughs> it keeps picking out the wrong words. I need Clippy in my brain to come and help me. <laughs> Are you sure you meant that? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Ben, look, today we follow up on our Joe Arpaio episode with an episode that tries to answer a question that you have asked me before. Basically, when did the Republican Party turn hard against immigration? And just to clarify up front, today we're going to be talking primarily about immigration from Mexico, Central, and South America. And, you know, the reason for that isn't that xenophobia or anti-immigrant sentiments on the right are exclusively towards people from those regions. It's because conceptually the southern border became its own political issue, and that makes opposition to immigration from countries south of the border a bit distinct from opposition to immigration from other largely non-white countries. But, huh. you know, make no mistake, it stems, it stems from the same root place of racism. It's, it's, it's all coming from the same origin. So, Can I guess? Yes. 2004. 2004. Why would you put it at 2004? I'll tell you, is there an event in your mind in 2004 that makes uh, it seem like that not, would be it. Not particularly, but it's like a floundering post-Iraq post not going super well. Like, I guess, yeah, I don't know. Like, Bush's, Bush's re-election, I feel like, maybe is the time. Because I know that Reagan and Bush Sr. were both like, we need a path to citizenship. Like, they were actually quite pro, like, more legal immigration was how in, they would frame it. In a sense, yeah. I understand. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about that when we get to okay. it. Yeah. But anyway, so, that's just my guess. And all the other, the separate guess is fucking Tea Party, just because they I, ruined everything. I will ruin your day and say there is no concrete time frame in which we okay. can say that the shit happened. 
It's more Sorry. of a gradual thing that you kind of introduced it, uh, pretending that that was in the intro of the episode. <laughs> but that's fine if there isn't one. Don't no, whatever, don't uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm going to point out is that Listeners, I, he's lying to you. I that's think fine. you are you can't correct trust anything. Okay. in your estimation that in the years following 9/11, in particular, is when we start to see the larger upswell of anti-immigration rhetoric on the right and the move towards more extreme actions like a border wall and dumb shit like that. Right? Mm-hmm. I think you you have pinned basically. Probably the most uh, important time frame for a lot of this. Right. But it stems from stuff that happened a lot earlier and, and okay. ideas that come from a lot earlier. So to begin our story, I want people to just just stay with me for a moment and imagine a world in which the partisan politics of this immediate moment today are not static. And in fact, despite seeming like a pretty well drawn out framework of differences between parties can and have changed over time. Can you do that for me, Benedict? Nope. Well, then shit, we're out of luck. We can't do the episode. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. Goodbye. So to begin with, for one thing, for a lot of American history, basically everyone was against non-white immigration. That's that's something we have to recognize. Including, right, including like non-whites included the Irish and fucking Italians at the time as well. Right, But like even like the wrong kind of white immigration. And I'm forgetting the book. What is the name of the book on the evolution of of the idea of whiteness? What is the name of that book that everyone has cited? I don't fucking know. Uh, I haven't read it. We probably mentioned it before. Uh, But, you know, the idea of whiteness... Um, you know, is something that has evolved over time, obviously, right? Uh-huh. You mentioned the Irish were not considered white. The Italians were not considered white, although today, obviously, they are. And we have a, a complicated framework of white supremacy today uh, where there are people who who have Hispanic backgrounds who consider themselves white uh, and who some other white supremacists will consider white. Uh, but anyways, that's, that's not exactly within the sco- scope of today's episode. But... To begin with, we need to talk about the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. So, this was an act introduced in the House of Representatives by Emanuel Salar, a Democrat from New York, which passed the House by a vote of 318 to 95, and the Senate by a vote of 76 to 18, then was signed into law by LBJ. So, prior to this act, U.S. law had essentially banned immigration from Asia and Africa. Uh, there was a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment, right? That was a, a big driver of the early anti-immigration narratives was anti-Chinese. Yes, we had the Chinese Exclusion Act of yep. uh, 1882, which banned immigration from, guess? You got to guess? China. That's right, Portugal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, probably wouldn't be considered white at that time, and maybe not now. Uh, in 1917... Congress passed the Immigration Act, which limited immigration of Europeans from the browner parts of the continent and implemented Mm -hmm. language testing requirements that cut out a lot of Eastern Europeans and Southern Europeans. Basically, they just wanted Western Europe. They wanted under Under Woodrow Wilson. Are you you telling me Woodrow Wilson was a racist? Oh, no such thing would I tell you. Uh, you know, FDR, also racist. A lot yeah. of people were racist back I, then. Look, everyone was racist. Everyone was racist. We have to recognize those things in order to talk about them in a full context, uh, zooming out, if you will. Uh, then in 1921, Congress implemented the Emergency Immigration Act, which limited overall immigration numbers. And in 1924, the Immigration Act of 1924. They're very creative with these names, which yep. 
put in place what's at least they the... put the right years in at least it wasn't like the immigration <laughs> act of 1924 that was passed in 1928 for some I reason that. <laughs> like... that would have been so much better honestly and they should start doing that just to fucking confuse historians oh just... it'd be so great if if every fucking historian writing about this had to have a footnote which called no they put the wrong date to fuck with us like that'd be great i would love it so much i i will say just before we get into this like even people like in the past everyone was racist to the point where even the good guys in most of the stories are like racist. from the white are racist like Edie morell who like basically exposed the belgian atrocities in the in the congo mm-hmm. thought that they would be better under english rule because they, were, <laughs> they couldn't possibly govern themselves and like, we talked about this on the last patron only bonus when we did the american revolution video on prager you uh where you know we can recognize that the founders of the country made great strides for the means of democracy, but they were heavily imperfect. And those, those imperfections are, to some extent, what created the world we live in today more than the strides that they made. You yeah, but I mean? also worth acknowledging. Yeah. So anyways, the Immigration Act of 1924 put into place what's called the National Origins Formula, chiefly to limit immigration to Western Europeans. And what that did was... Basically, well, you might live in the UK, but that's not your national origin. Oh, so it's where are you really from? It's, it's exactly <laughs> oh it. That's exactly God. it. Where it's the you where really are you from? really from, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> the what language do you speak at home, Bill? Oh, Fuck shit. Off. They should have called it that. They should have called it one of those. Uh, so, but by the 1960s, things had changed. That's somewhat. why we all, that's why everyone fucking does that in this country then. <laughs> yes. Uh, but by the 1960s, you know, things had changed in the United States as far as the political landscape goes. Uh, you had the civil rights movement as well as the Chicano rights movement and others. They'd managed to push the needle a bit, particularly with young people who thought that, you know, racism just wasn't their bag, man. Uh, but even with growing opposition to racist policies, at the time that the 1965 Act was signed, it only had a bare 51% approval from the population, which is, you know, that's within the margin of error. Um, and what the 1965 Act did primarily was to abolish the national origins quota that had been a central feature of U.S. immigration law since the 20s. Mm-hmm. And the Act wasn't anywhere near perfect, obviously. It implemented quotas based on hemispheres. With obviously preferring one over the other, it you know pre- preferred the eastern one. Uh, it had a oh, it's eastern versus western, not right. Versus eastern hemisphere, southern. western hemisphere. Uh, gotcha. It had a quota of one hundred and seventy thousand immigrants from the eastern hemisphere and only one hundred and twenty thousand from the western hemisphere. What are we counting? Where's the line? The western hemisphere is North and South America, and east okay. is everything else. I know okay, that doesn't make that- sense. No, but it it doesn't. But I will say there are a lot more people in the Eastern Hemisphere than there are in the Western Hemisphere by that delineation. So that seems like a reasonable ratio to me. But wow, Benedict, you know, supporting racist immigration. What I will say is, you know, where most of the people in the Eastern Hemisphere would have been coming from. Ideally, yes, yes. Uh, But it was a huge sea change, right? It eliminated for the first time in decades the objectively racist national origin system um, and restrictions that prevented many people uh, in a number of countries from immigrating to the U.S., right? How far back did the national origins thing go? The national origins thing? How how far did it go? As in, like, no, no, as in, like, the, like, where are you really from? Like, how long did you have to be in the country before you were recognized? You know, as... at one point I had pulled up on one of my screens a grainy shot of, like, 
the list of quotas and stuff, and and I didn't like look that deeply into okay. it, so I can't tell you all the details on it. But okay. we know that some countries were banned entirely, right? China obviously banned mm-hmm. entirely, um, and then you know disfavored countries, countries with more brown people, obviously would have had uh, lower or or zero numbers for the amount of people who were welcome. Why were we so anti-China at the time? I, uh, I Like, I know that we were, I just don't know the specifics. That goes back in some ways to, like, the gold rush era and the influx of Chinese people moving to California, California and the yeah. West Coast. Um, and the, you know, Oregon, pe- people talk about it somewhat, but Oregon was basically a white supremacist state. Uh, when it was founded in the territory itself, right? It was one of the most racist places in the United I would say States. lots of it isn't not that now, to be fair, <laughs> also. Portland is great, I hear. Uh, but, so I you know, heard. so a lot of this was backlash to whites who had moved to the West Coast uh, seeking their fortune in the gold rush or whatever and saw that these Chinese immigrants were coming in and thought they were stealing the opportunity, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, they also there's a history with uh, the Chinese working on the railroads in the United States and backlash uh, from the railroad workers who thought their jobs were being stolen, all this sort of stuff. Um, it all sort of boils together into that kind of thing. Um, but what I do want to point out is that we've heard talk about this 1965 act before on this show. Uh, I vaguely remember it coming up in one of the books we've read. I don't remember which one, but I do vaguely remember it. But I distinctly remember us watching a video of Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about pre-1965 Americans, which can't be understood as anything other than a racist bullhorn. It is not a dog whistle. It's a fucking bullhorn. I just don't see another way of interpreting that. There really isn't any way that. And if you listen carefully enough, you can hear other far-right figures use similar phrases about 1965 to signal their racist intent with, with... just the same level as as Marjo, right? I, I found a 2018 op-ed by unrepentant Nazi bigot Pat Buchanan, um, which reads, quote, Trump is saying with words as he has with policies that in taking in a million people a year, race, religion, and national origin matter if we are to preserve our national unity and national character. Moreover, on deciding who comes and who does not, Americans have the sovereign right to discriminate in favor of some continents, countries, and cultures, and against others. Moreover, in stating his own preferences, Trump is in a tradition as old as the Republic. The original colonies did not want Catholics here. Ben Franklin feared Pennsylvania was being overrun with stupid Germans. (laughs) And then he's quoting uh, Ben Franklin. Why should Pennsylvania, founded by the English, become a colony of aliens who will shortly be so numerous as to Germanize us instead of our anglifying them, and will never adopt our language or customs any more than they can acquire our complexion? Hmm, it's not great. He continues, Just as anti-immigrant parties have arisen in Europe to stem the flood of refugees from the Mideast and Africa, an American party, know-nothings, was formed to halt the surge of Irish immigrants during the potato famine of 1845 to 1849. Benedict, I will remind you, he is writing of these things positively. He has a positive view of these things. Of the know-nothings. Of the know-nothings. Of racism towards Germans and Irish and anti-Catholic bigotry. It's not a positive view of the racism. It's like, I should be allowed to be racist because Ben Franklin was. I think he also has a positive view of all this racism. It's Pat fucking Buchanan. I I mean, yes. I'm not sure it's there in the text, but it is is definitely there in his brain. It continues, Benedict. (laughs) Lincoln wanted slaves repatriated to Africa. 
In the 19th and 20th centuries, we had Chinese and Japanese exclusion acts. Californians have properly objected to Japanese migrants, said VP dom nominee FDR, on the sound ba uh, basic ground that the mingling of Asiatic blood with European or American blood produces, in nine cases out of ten, the most unfortunate results. There we go, FDR. I don't FDR. think that's right, FDR. Sorry. It's not a great FDR quote. Continuing. After the great migration... <laughs> that one's not in the I'm, FDR I'm giving memorial. you all this fucking bigotry just because it's like... Up front. No, I had I'm to read this shit. Now you I have know, to hear I it. I know, I know. Yeah, that, they don't have that one in the FDR memorial, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it continues. After the great migration of Italians, Poles, Jews, and East Europeans from 1890 to 1920, the Immigration Act of 1925 established quotas based on the national origins of the American people in 1890. So that's, uh, I should have told you, that's what it was based on. The, the quotas, the national origin quotas, sought to keep basically the same origin makeup as the United States had in 1890. So the same, the same ratio. Right, same ratios. Right. In 18, thus favoring Brits, Scots, Irish, Irish, and Germans. Brits, Sim Scots, Irish, Irish, and Germans? That's how he wrote it. Continue. He wrote Irish twice? Scots, Irish is there, and then Irish. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. Scots, Irish, okay. Civil rights leader A. Philip Randolph, a major figure in Dr. King's March on Washington, said of the Harding-Coolidge restrictive quotas, quote, We favor reducing immigration to nothing, dot, 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 shutting out the Germans, dot, 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 Italians, dot, 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 Hindus, dot, 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 Chinese, and even the Negroes from the West Indies. The country is suffering from immigration indigestion. The Senate floor leader of the 1965 Immigration Act addressed what were then regarded as valid concerns about the future racial and ethnic composition of the country. Sen Senator Edward Kennedy pledged, quote, our, our cities will not be flooded with a million immigrants annually. The ethnic mix of the country will not be upset. Senate Bill 500 will not inundate America with immigrants from the most populated and economically deprived nations of Africa and Asia. And Buchanan finishes with, what Kennedy assured America would not happen, did happen. Now, I didn't have to read all that, but Jesus Christ, Pat, you fucking Nazi bitch. You Nazi bitch. Fuck you, Pat Buchanan. You piece of shit. Yeah, he I mean, is, this, this has been his dream the, since he ran for president to the be end able to of, write things like the, this. The bit there at the end with the 1965 act, the reason, reason why I read everything before was, as I told you a few minutes ago, I believe that that makes it clear that he is speaking approvingly of all the racism and bigotry that came before. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, was, I was being somewhat trite. Or, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, that op-ed was written in response to Trump's uh, shithole countries kerfuffle, by the way. That's oh, so it was Pat Buchanan being like, there are some shithole countries. That's basically what he was doing, because Pat is a fucking Nazi. Um, and I would also point to things like Tucker Carlson's repeated invocation of legacy Americans, uh, which, if not intentionally invoking the same concept, which I would argue it is, leaning very much towards it in a I think he's way. smart enough that he knows that's invoking the same concept. Yeah, I, I think he is. I think he does, and he is. But a political shift took place in the United States in the 60s and 70s, which you might be familiar with, uh, wherein the southern states, as well as some states like Arizona and Texas, began a shift towards the Republican Party. Um, and obviously, we've talked about Barry Goldwater before. And but I thought the Democrats were the racists. Well, you know, we learned from Dinesh D'Souza that the South became 
more Republican as it became less racist. Dude, that like, look, the um, (laughs) that fucking Ted Cruz was having this argument with AOC on Twitter again, fucking last week. I'm so sick of everyone being like, "Well, the Democrats were the KKK." I have an Who are they now, buddy? Like, yeah. Who are they now? That's what we want to talk about. Like, look, there is racism within the Democratic Party. The systemic racism. There is old holdover racism. There is un, uh, uh, un, unconscious biases. Biases. Yeah. There's yeah. all that exists within the Democratic Party, but the overt, dangerous, violent racism in this country is largely within the Republican Party. And you know why? I don't think that the violent racists are going to vote for the party that elected the first black president. I just don't think that's likely to happen. It might have driven some of them out, as well as everything that happened over the decades before that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. So, you know, we talked about Goldwater um, and his opposition to the Civil Rights Act, which caused him to be the first Republican to win the South, despite losing in a landslide to LBJ in 1964. And, you know, of course, he also won uh, the border state of Arizona, Likely not entirely because of racism, but also because he, he was, was from, from Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was an immensely popular politician in the state. And and we've also talked about, and I don't remember if this was Arizona's got only. some weird folks in it, dude. Like, the more we read about Arizona, the more I'm like, is this the craziest? Like, it's got to be close to Florida for being the most, like, what the fuck state. I think Arizona's crazier than Florida. I, yeah, I, I it's really low-key, maybe, yeah. I, I really do. Uh, we're going to talk about some Arizona stuff later today. We'll we'll get to it. But I, I think Arizona is the craziest state. People talk about Florida, man. No, fuck it. Arizona, man. Arizona, <laughs> man's where it's at. Uh, but, you know, we talked about Goldwater's personal feelings on race and how he was very progressive on race personally, right? He I mean, kind of, yeah. He insisted that his uh, African-American secretary be allowed to eat in the Senate lunchroom, which was segregated. All that sort of stuff that he did, he was, you know, lauded by the Arizona NAACP before he made it to the Senate, all this stuff, but it is just his stupid fucking libertarianism that led him to the wrong positions on civil rights. Um, I, I, that's how I feel about Goldwater. I feel, you know, he was a very dumb, dumb guy, um, and it just led him to, to doing stupid shit that went against his own personal feelings, which were correct on issues of race. So anyways, prior to the 60s, uh, the Democrats had been strongly opposed to immigration from non-white countries as well, as the Republicans also had been, right? It was a largely popular policy throughout the United States, which explains why in the late 1800s and early 1900s, we saw that whole swath of legislation I told you about restricting immigration largely to Western Europe. I mean, open, blatant racism just used to be the norm. That's an accurate description of history all around the world. Kevin used to be maybe doing a lot of work. <laughs> Still is whatever, you know, all these words. Uh, But support for immigration from Mexico, by which I mean not so much immigration, but, you know, they can be here and then go back when we're done with them, uh, was oddly enough, for much of the same time period, a largely bipartisan policy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they want to exploit their labor. That's that's, kind of still is also about Um, countries south of America, other than Mexico, not so much. But part of the reason that restrictions on immigration from Mexico went largely untouched um, was that large agro-business concerns in the United States lobbied for, you know, the ability to bring in Mexican laborers on visas uh, and exploit the labor of disadvantaged people who came here to try and get a better life. Um, And a large result of this was what was called the Bracero Program, which was initiated in 1942 from an agreement between the United States and Mexico called the Mexican Farm Labor Agreement. And obviously, given it was 1942, World War II was a factor here as well. But the Bracero program basically allowed for Mexican farm leaders to come to U.S. on temporary visas 
and had things in it like a 30% uh, 30 cent per hour minimum wage and a provision that part of their pay was put into a Mexican savings account. In theory, it had things like worker protections on, you know, the standard of, of housing they were to be given and things like that. Those weren't lived up to, obviously, in many cases. Um, it's a program built around the exploitation of Mexican labor. So, of course, it was not a great program. Um, and a lot of the hardships that you read about when you look into the Bracero program are things like the fact that they weren't allowed to bring their wives or girlfriends, this split up families. They had to spend lots of their time here in the United States working hard, back-breaking labor. Um, the pay of 30 cents an hour was still below the 1942 average of 63 cents per hour. Um, and the working and living conditions could be just awful. All the sort of bad stuff you can imagine, it goes along with it. Um, and there's a Woody Guthrie song, uh, Deportee, uh, Plane Wreck at Los Gatos, which commemorates the death of 28 Braceros who were being repatriated to Mexico in 1948. So go check that out if you want to hear it. Do you know um, another thing that is crazy about the American system like even like that you just reminded me with that the fact that there are like two tiers i don't know if this is true of anywhere else but two tiers of like immigrant versus non-immigrant visas and yeah. if you come as a non-immigrant it basically none of the time you're here you have first of all you have to maintain an address abroad like you said with the mexican stuff yeah. um and you have to be like not showing any intent to move here just to come and like work here or whatever which is fucking insane and like none of those years you're on that visa count as towards like a green card or whatever like there's you can be here like if you're on an immigrant visa you can be here for i think it's like five or seven years i forget which one it depends on your circumstances and those years count towards you can apply for a green card now but when you're here as an on a non-immigrant visa none of that shit counts it's insane yeah you know the the visa system is a later development um than the bracero system the v, I, I remember reading about this when I was putting this episode together, but I didn't look into it because it wasn't particularly relevant. But the whole H-1 visa system and H-1Bs, I think those came about in the 60s, if I remember right, um, with the different yeah, status it's, of well, visas. Yeah, well, it's, it's skilled work. Those are skilled work. Right, right. Yeah. So, but that's around the time that these different variations of visas came about was in the 1960s. So the Bracero program ended, uh, you know, after I think about two decades it was or something like that. It ended in the early 60s, if I remember right. I didn't write the, the date down, so I don't have it here. But, Benedict, in 1977, uh, David Duke announced oh, his organization. Yep, that's the, the start of every good story <laughs> introduced by David Duke. Let's look at it. Let's go. Uh, announced that his organization, the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, which I should note that... You can't start that without me thinking it's going to end Knights of the Round Table. Like, there's just no... <laughs> there's no way that my um, brain doesn't autocomplete that to Knights of the Round Table. You know, we often refer to the Klan as a singular group, but after the second Klan fell apart in the 30s and 40s, there really isn't one singular Klan. Uh, there's a bunch of competing groups sort of all <laughs> Just an octopus of, of racists. Just. Yeah. Oh, th so much, you know, I, I read far more about the history of racist groups than any human should rationally. Um, but so much of it, so much of it comes down to infighting and squabbling for power among petty tyrants who want to be the big man on campus. It's that really just right. so fucking pathetic. It's all, it's all just a power trip, presumably. Yeah, it all is. It really is. I mean, fucking, why, why do you think that so many of them end up being assassinated? Or by their own people. Their own fucking people end up killing them, right? Fucking, you know, the leader of the, the National Socialist Movement, who's, why am I blanking on his name? That's one of the ones I'm usually always able to pull off the top of my head. Um, in, the, in America, or? 
In America, yeah. The, oh. the blah, American Nazi Party. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I forget. Hold his on, name I'll have it in 30 seconds. Like, how off? George Lincoln Rockwell. Yeah. Why yeah. am I? That's one of the names I usually pull off the top of my head for no. You know, my brain thesaurus is broken today. That's what it is. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's been a long week. But, anyways, so David Duke announced that the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan uh, would be patrolling the U.S. Mexico border to hunt down undocumented immigrants. Um, and Duke claimed that 173 Klansmen had launched patrols and. A lot of this was probably a bluff. Uh, Duke is nothing more than a bullshit artist at his very core, right? Uh, a few border agents reported seeing some Klansmen in the desert, but in all likelihood, this was just a publicity stunt. Um, also, yeah, they would be very obvious in the fucking dead. Nobody would think they were a Cigarro cactus. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they stood with their hands up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but there That's were a de- Steven Seagal reference for those of you that didn't listen last week. If you're listening to this episode and you didn't listen to last one, that's Don't. weird. Go listen to last week's to one. It's much more fun. Yeah. Uh, but there were definitely other people in David Duke's orbit with ideas of more radical action who were inspired by him, right? Uh, a young fascist by the name of Louis Beam, who we will talk about at some point because he has a, a lot of importance um, in the white supremacist uh, uh, organizing uh, circles. Um, throughout the the late 80s and 90s. We'll be talking about Louis Bean. But he started off in the Texas clan before joining Duke's group in Louisiana, um, and he went on to found paramilitary camps in Texas to train early variants of militia-ish groups in the 1980s, um, and eventually in 1981 led some angry whites in arson attacks on shrimping boats owned by Vietnamese fishermen who had settled in the United States after fleeing Vietnam. Um, this resulted in a lawsuit by the SPLC that caused Beam to have to close his paramilitary training camps, which is objectively a good thing. You love to see it happen, so mm-hmm. keep doing yeah. the good work there, SPLC. Um, there have been some great legal victories against racist groups and civil suits that I should probably put an episode uh, together on, because that would be really fun That would fun be a fun episode, about. yeah. Like, the Aryan Nations compound was shut down uh, because a couple of... of Nazis um, beat uh, I, I think it was a mother and her son who like went down the wrong road near the camp and they like pulled them out of the car and beat them or something like that I don't remember the entire story off the top of my head I take it back that's not fun don't do that it's episode. not fun but you know it's one of those things where like tragedy leads to good things happening right yeah. they survived obviously um, which you know isn't to say that taking a that wasn't obvious thing. No. Uh, but but uh, their lawsuit ended up getting the Aryan Nations compound shut down. They they got the the land um, and literally I think I remember burned the structures to the ground. They just burned them. They burned the best the way to do Nazi it. church. Burn the Nazis the down. Yeah, but anyways, Benedict. In the 1980s, uh, Ronald Reagan completed the GOP capture of the South by campaigning against busing and using his welfare cream story and all the various stuff that Lee Atwater pretty stupidly shot his mouth off about the true intentions of uh, in an interview with a political scientist at Case Western Reserve. And if you haven't heard this before, Lee Atwater was an advisor to Ronald Reagan and later to George, I want to say the first George Bush or was it George W? I don't remember. I think it was the first George Bush because I think he died while W was in office. Or before. Uh, But anyways, he said, quote, you start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. I remember we've talked about this before. I am censoring. He used the words. Yep. Continuing. By 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. 
backfires. So you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff, and you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes, and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut this as much more abstract than even the busing thing. Uh, and I said his uh, uh. <laughs> in a strange way there. And a hell of a lot more abstract than N-word, N-word. So he's not wrong about his analysis of the situation. No. And, you know, the Southern strategy and all this, it all ties together. And like I said, I think Ronald Reagan is who really completed the GOP capture of the South. And then you could put the cherry uh, I feel on top like, was of it. Was it not Nixon? Nixon, it wasn't as complete as Ronald Reagan. Didn't Nixon win like, well, I mean, only because Reagan only didn't win that one state, Rhode right, Island or whatever right. it was. Or so, Massachusetts. I, and I, I think that you could say the cherry on top is George W. Bush consolidating the evangelicals behind the Republican Party um, in you know the early 2000s. I think that's where it really, boom, cherry on top. The South is, is solidly red. Um, and that's where it is. Okay, so, Nixon Nixon won every state except Massachusetts in 72. Yeah. I, I look I'm not I'm not talking on just like who won the states. I'm talking more about the idea of winning the support of certain constituencies. I, and I'm talking specifically about the white constituencies in the south because that's that's the shift that we're talking about. And you know Nixon obviously used the southern strategy. That was the Southern strategy, the name... Nixon invented from the Nixon. Southern strategy. Right, that's where it originates from. And I'm not saying that, that Reagan, you know, uh, uh, did something differently necessarily. It's really the same sort of thing that Nixon tried to do. But Nixon, uh, 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 Reagan was sort of where it all came together. It coalesced. He locked the door. It's it's done. It's there. It's together, right? Uh, after Nixon... I, I think... I think- Nixon was the the progenitor and main first lock on it. I disagree with you. I think after Nixon, there were other possibilities of the South going Democratic again. And you can see, you know, some support for Jimmy Carter and things. Okay, Um, but he was from Georgia. So that's why he won Georgia. Anyways, Bennett, we're getting off topic here. No, no, I need you to be to admit you're wrong. Fine. We can agree to disagree over whether Nixon or Reagan was the one who finally consolidated the Southern vote. We'll Fine. agree to disagree on that. Uh, but even Reagan took a much less hardline stance than the modern Republican Party on immigration, right? Uh, the prospect of a border fence was raised during his presidency, and he managed to mumble out his opposition to it through a mouthful of jelly beans. He was not in favor of a, a border fence. And, and Reagan, while not supporting increased permanent immigration, did support increased temporary worker visas for Mexico. Again, to exploit the labor of people from that country for the U.S.'s economic gain. That's, yep. you know, it's Republican. That's all it ever is. Same as it ever was. And then in 1986, Reagan signed the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986, which had some good provisions, the one that everyone talks about being amnesty, which was part of that bill. It also had some god-awful provisions, like sanctions against people who employed undocumented immigrants, which makes it harder for people who are here and undocumented to fucking survive. And, you know, I, I, I just, it brings to my mind... I should also say here, one of the things that I notice we do on the show is because we swim in the right wing muck so much where they use phrases like illegals all the time. And I oftentimes like sarcastically say illegals. I notice during the edit sometimes that I accidentally use their terms for things uh, unintentionally. Like 
illegal immigrant is probably the phrase I notice it happening with the most. So just if it happens, I want people to know it's not intentional. It's just that no. the right has broken my brain. That's that's why that happens. Well, also, I mean, it can be difficult to discuss. Like if they if we're reading something and they say illegal and then like your brain naturally like you combat them on that term. Right. That's the that's the like just to avoid confusion. Sometimes it happens. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, I don't know, my brain's broken, man. Anyway, we don't mean that. <laughs> no human being is illegal. But Reagan also took executive action to grant amnesty for the children of those who had received amnesty under the bill because legislation is often poorly drafted, and how the fuck did nobody think about that when they put this bill together? Yeah, that's insane. It's literally like nobody thought about it. They just didn't put it in the bill. because They were like, oh, it. they have kids here? What? It's like, when when, Repu- when the right argues textualism, it's like, oh, you fuckers don't know how bills are written. You think that, that the wording of the bill is what they meant to happen. No, you're fucking stupid. Um, Having said that, I do enjoy that, uh, I think in, in Utah today, they banned the Bible from some libraries because it was it's one of the most sex-filled books Did out that there. happen, or was I, that just something somebody challenged it? No, I, I think it that. happened. I think they did. I saw a Republican complaining about it. That doesn't mean it definitely uh, happened, to be, be honest. Enjoyable. That would be enjoyable for me. So, you know... Uh, this is something that, that a lot of people on the left will often bring up is that Reagan did the largest amnesty in U.S. history for undocumented people who are in the U.S. And they bring it up, I think, wrongfully thinking that it will affect anyone on the right's thinking on the issue of immigration because, you know, everyone on the right has a lazy explanation for how now is just different somehow, right? Um, some dick also, bag. I think. Well, I also think that like a lot of the dominant faction on the right now thinks Reagan was wrong about that. Sure, sure, probably also true. Um, some dickbag at the Heritage Foundation, whose name is Rice, I think Rise R I E S. He said to the Hill, "Quote: It wasn't so much about politics back then. You weren't seeing caravans back then. It wasn't leading to border crises, and so you could get politicians who would fall on one side of the issue or the other based on the merits." Yeah, it's just. They don't need a they don't need a reason to disagree with, you know, a position that they hold now. You're right that they can just say that Reagan was wrong. But they also come well, up with I mean, that's that. I mean, like that. Remember the D'Souza documentary when he had Richard Spencer on and he was like, don't you think this thing Reagan said was right? And then Richard Spencer was like, fuck, no, you're an idiot. Why would I do that? <laughs> that was no. God, I will never understand why he kept that in that movie. I know of him sitting down Ridiculous. with a fucking Nazi. And, and losing. getting owned. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. There are debate streamers who would take that video yeah, down. Yeah. Spencer was like, no, it's our party now. What would we, what would we do that for? And then this is, was like, oh, well, agree to disagree. Well, like, uh, no. You, like, God, just Richard also, Spencer saying, I, well, no, party is just a vessel and ideologies change over time. Yeah. When Dinesh is trying to say, aren't you a Democrat? No, I'm not, dude. Like, <laughs> Jesus, fuck. Did you see everyone get disappointed that Tom Morello hates fascists oh, again God, this week? Oh, God, great. That was a great moment, too. <laughs> Fucking Tim, Tim Pool. Pool being like, Tom oh, Morello's Tom, a fascist. Tom no. Morello's anti-Nazi. How? What, wait, what, what a fascist. Yeah. 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 Disappointing uh, to hear that Tom Morello is, I'm hearing, a communist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to like their music until I found out they were political. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the biggest catalyst, in my mind, of the right's turn on immigration came with, of course, <laughs> 9-11. Um, the huge narrative of national security, um, which make no mistake is a narrative more than it is a real thing, right? Terrorism and terrorists exist, but the paranoia inducing environment that we created after nine 11 
is 99% hype. Uh, but that narrative was of outside invaders coming to destroy us from within. Uh, side note, sorry to interrupt you again, but did you see the thing this week that got released that was like biggest sources of like terrorist threats or whatever? And like people were trying to both sides it because number one was far right wing and number two was like jihadist. And they were like, I'll oh, see everyone's doing it. And you're like, those are two sides of the same coin, dickhead. That's not like the left and the right. Yeah, man. I think a lot of these right wingers don't realize how many issues they agree with ISIS on. I think Probably they not. found out. Yeah. They would have a new ally in the Middle East. Yep. But, you know, so we also around that time, in response to 9-11, created a new organization within the federal government called the Department of Homeland Security and reorganized a huge portion of the federal government, right? And ICE, Uh, too, right, is is under DHS. ICE, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, they all got put within the umbrella of DHS. U.S. CBP existed before DHS, though, right? It, It did, but they got, like... You know, they got the rolled up into moved, the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They report yeah, yeah. to you know it's, it was a whole it was a reorganization of the U.S. federal government and how how it was all organized. It was just like you know m- move the chart of of who reports to who around that sort of thing. The org chart is different yes. now. Literally, it was an org chart thing. Yeah. Literally, it was basically an org chart thing is how that works. And then DHS didn't exist before. But anyways, so um, the narrative arose coming out of all this that one of our biggest risks at the time was the southern border. Because, you know, Bennett, Racism? right now, you and I are literally reading a fantasy novel about Islamic terrorists being intentionally smuggled in through the southern border. And that narrative came from a place. And it came from this idea that Islamic terrorists are going to come through our southern border. Well, that I mean, I, I didn't know. So my brain wasn't broken by 9-11 because A, mm-hmm. I was a child and B, yes. I didn't live here. Um, but I didn't realize. Were you realize... unaware that that was a thing that was talked about by people? I didn't, I, I didn't realize it was a pre-Trump thing. Um, mm. I knew that it, like, I definitely knew that it was a Trump thing. Like it was a thing Trump had said. Oh, it's definitely a pre-Trump thing. It is a I, big... I, I didn't know that until, well, like, I, I mean, I could have fucking guessed, but like, I didn't know that until just now. It, it's a, it's a right-wing media and politician thing. It was just sort of a back and forth between right-wing media and politicians pushing this narrative that we had to secure the Southern border because terrorists might use it to come in and who knows, do another thing, right? Yeah. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So, it's Nuke also, Arizona. It's also worth noting that is the funny thing. We talked about this with the book, but like, wh- why would why would Phoenix be the target? It's New York. They go for New York. Nobody well, the, the, the funny thing was they were smuggling the nukes to Buffalo or to Ithaca. Spelled wrong. No, I, th- um, uh, I thought the nu- no, no, they were smuggling the jihadists to Ithaca, and oh, I thought okay. the nuke was going to Phoenix. Is what oh, I remember. Okay, yeah. Well, I forget. That's why, that's why I remember being like, why the fuck Phoenix? Anyways, but it's also worth noting that the early 2000s was really when Fox News came into its prime, right? Fox was launched in 1996, and 2002 was the first year. Was it that year. recently? Yeah, right? Doesn't it feel like it's been around forever? Uh, well, but- again, like, my first time really watching Fox News, I think, was probably, like, my first awareness of it as a thing was probably, like, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it's like I said, the 2000s is when it came into its prime. Uh, Just because it didn't really make it like UK broadcasting is obviously very different. And like that style of broadcast just isn't doesn't work in the UK. 
Yeah, I was gonna. I have it later in my notes, but I was gonna talk about how they have tried to replicate Fox News in other countries, and I was gonna bring up GB News as an example, yeah. uh, which is you know miserably failing. But and I, I don't. By the way, I don't know his name, but I love that GB News is basically version of Tucker Carlson is a Scottish guy with shoulder length hair. It's a great twist. Yeah. He used to present like a fucking travel program called coast where he'd just like go down, like go to interesting towns along the coast and be like, Oh, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And then that's like, that's it. That was his whole job. And then he just chose to be a bigot on the news instead. (laughs) But yeah, GB news has by everything I've read failed horrifically. Like they're just not. Uh, it's still chugging years. along. Like it's 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 just not right. getting. They're the not making they money. Expected. They're propped yeah. up by billionaire dark money. Like it's not a money making. Like enterprise. most of right wing media, Kevin. Right. It's a political enterprise. It's not a money making enterprise. Although Fox News has been financially successful yeah, in the United yeah. States. Fox News is the outlier uh, because the United States has a very live and active fascist element that is. Well, they also cornered the market early with it. Sure. Right. But so like I was saying, 2002 is the first year that Fox passed CNN in the ratings. Uh, Bill O'Reilly was still on there back then, right? Uh, sexually harassing anything that walked by, uh, as well as, you know, the, the regular Fox guests like uh, racist ghoul Ann Coulter, uh, neo-Nazi adjacent ghoul Michelle Malkin, uh, neo-Nazi ghoul Tucker Carlson, you know, all saying stuff. Like, for example, this clip I have. Uh, and I will say that I, I just took this clip from The Daily Show because they put a clip of Bill O'Reilly together. That's what this is. But saying such, such wonderful things as this. If you're a Christian or a white man in the USA, it's open season on you. There is a war between traditional Americans and secular progressives in this country. The left sees white privilege in America as an oppressive force that must be done away with. Taking voting power away from the white precincts is the quickest way to do that. The New York Times of the world hate the white you, Christian the white man. power structure and okay. want to change it by a massive amount of foreign nationals being able to vote. The way we okay, yeah, that's it. just that's just early white uh, white replacement theory. That's the yep. great replacement. Right I was gonna there. say that could have been from last week. Like really, <laughs> like that that is nothing has fucking changed in their thinking or argumentation. It is. It's the same exact thing. They literally haven't had a new idea in twenty years. Um, that is older than 20 years, I promise you. <laughs> it's approximately 90 years. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Fox wasn't alone, right? Talk radio was still huge in the early 2000s. And some of the biggest hosts were just uh, like Rush Limbaugh. Let's talk about Rush. Racist ghouls pandering to a white base. We're going we're gonna to talk into Rush. But first, how about some Michael Savage? Hit me. The Savage Nation uh, from 2006. Here you go. Uh, what will it take to wake you up to the fact that you're being erased from the future of America, and why uh, why are you being erased? If you're a person of European de- uh, descent, why do they want your child to be a minority in America? And when your little girl is a minority in America, oh, no. what will happen to her? Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I do I, want to put a content warning here that he gets really gross. So skip that's, ahead about that's, two minutes. That's not going to be good, whatever he says. Yeah, he gets bad. That's going to be some... Tell me some, what will happen yeah. to her. Do you think that the minorities, when they take over this country, will be quite as benevolent as an enlightened and as enlightened as the European Americans are today? Or do you sense that just perhaps, just maybe, they will not bring the learnings of the Magna Carta, Fucking the Bill Magna of Rights, Carta. to their new power? But logic dictates that if one out of every two children under the age of five is not white, that within a very short period of time, whites are being erased from America. 
Now, when whites become a, a minority in America, tell me what you think is going to happen to your, your grandchild. Do you think that the people who are now minorities when they seize power, when they are the senators, when they are the Congress people, when they are the president and the vice president, do you think they'll be quite as enlightened as our uh, liberal government is today? You don't want the and liberal government. You don't get to say that and take advantage of the liberal government. Fuck oh, off. Oh, he means the classical liberal government. Better. That's yes. what he means. <laughs> the minorities, meaning then the whites, as fairly as the non-whites are being treated today? I don't. I do not. Okay, so it's they might do to us what we've done to them again. Yeah, that's it. it go, uh, I'll just leave it there because, yeah, he goes on and gets... Uh, he, he get, Michael Savage is one of history's great bigots. Mm -hmm. um, he will truly, a, a, again, a progenitor of the genre. Like. Miss no opportunity to slam the LGBTQ community and anyone Any who's community. not white. And yeah, it's, he is not a good person. Let me tell you about Michael. We need to do an episode on Michael Savage. Didn't we do? Sake. Didn't we talk about him on the Diamond we, and Silk? We talked about Patreon. him. Yeah, he was in the Diamond and Silk movie. He sat yeah. down with Diamond and Silk in his I uh, studio. I remember being shocked at the time at what a fucking fuckwit he was. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I might have played for you the clip that got him fired from his TV show I, where yes, he went did. on a homophobic rant you did, and told you someone did. to go choke and die on a sausage or something I, like I that. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Uh, anyways, Benedict... How about some Rush motherfucking Limbaugh? Let's fucking go. There we go. All right, the, uh, the so-called immigration rallies. Uh, it's not about immigration. Immigration is just a vehicle. What we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is nothing other than the latest incarnation of the left, the socialist left, the Democratic Party in this country attempting to swell its ranks and regain power. Pause it. Uh, when is this clip from? This clip's from 2005. Okay. Uh, John, John Kerry, the socialist left, <laughs> most recent Democratic candidate, John Kerry. That is delightful, Mi it Mr. Really socialism is. himself. Wait till we see. Wait till you see what 2020's got in store for you, bitch. Let's go. 2005. We just came off a few years ago a fucking Bill Clinton presidency. Yeah, yeah. The you know who's a socialist? Party. Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> as a means to do it, uh, they're also trying to depress the Republican base. Uh, into not turning out. They're not getting much. Trying to depress the Republican base, well, just by like. Who are uh, mystifyingly uh, absent on this, and I just it, it's it's hard to to uh, figure this out. How they've so so totally missed the boat on this. You remember how people have always said that Rush was a great broadcaster? He's not. He's he sounds like awful. shit. We sound better than him. It, yeah. It re well. Okay. This is old two thousand five radio. It's bad quality. But he's not. Good. He's not. He's, good he's at certainly the job. not energizing. He has a voice that people found a certain sort of. People it has found gravitas. I get that. Yeah, but that's about all he had. The dude doesn't have interesting ideas. He's a fascist bigot who fucking pushed propaganda for the Republican Party. That's all he was. All right, now look. Some of you people need to calm down out there. I've been reading the emails. Also, I think ninety percent of his success was due to his bumper music selection. He played the Pretenders a lot. Played Eminence Front by The Who a lot. He had some good song selections in there, so his producers did him good. Here at the top, and you think I'm missing the boat when I say this is not about illegal immigration. I'm, I'm talking to you about the reason that the Democratic Party has glommed onto this and who the organizers are and what their objective. Of course it's about illegal immigration. It's a way to create chaos. It's a way to tear down the country. But it's primarily by getting them back in power. 
Uh, greetings and welcome back, Rushland Ball, the EIB Network. 800-282-2882 is the phone number if you want to be on the program. By the way, I have been bobbing my head and vibing along with that Pretender song, because that's a jam. That's a mm. great song. Fucking Chrissy Hine would hate him. She'd fucking hate him. She's still yeah. alive, isn't she? I have no idea. sure she's still alive. I have way too much esoteric music knowledge in my head. Yep. I am a font of useless music knowledge. Grim, I am not diminishing the impact of illegal immigration on this. You should see the emails I got. You're going off the reservation. You're being sucked into not believing what this is really. I'm not being sucked into anything. I am thinking independently here. I am not saying illegal immigration is not the problem. I'm saying it's simply the latest springboard. It's the latest vehicle. Uh, I've, I know two two weeks have been covering this. I'm I'm just I'm I'm talking now about the motivations and the opportunity that illegal immigration presents. Ted Kennedy doesn't really care about these people the way he's speaking to them. Okay, the amount of times that we've talked about Ted Kennedy is insane. <laughs> I know he was like a big powerful dude, but like really, like he's the like yeah. Yeah, it's it's really not. Um, you know, one of the things uh, uh, he said there is that he's an independent thinker. He's not. He's just doing the great replacement. Which is why I sound like twenty other fucking broadcasters. Yeah, that that's all he's fucking doing there. It's the same thing as ever. So we're done with that. We don't need to go into that anymore. Now, I'm not saying that fascist media personalities were the prime mover in the right's hard turn against him. You're also not not saying that though. I'm also not not. It's a bit more complicated than that. And unfortunately, I think, like, I wanted to, when I started researching and writing this episode, I wanted to have a solid answer on this question. But I don't think that it really lends itself to a simple, succinct explanation. I just don't think you can do it. So, as simply as I can put it, as far as it seems to me that the way this all shakes out, the right's increased focus on anti-immigration politics was a combination of the bubbling up of racist sentiments within the party, that it existed forever, frankly, right? But were catalyzed by the increasingly overwhelmingly white makeup of the Republican Party. By yeah, I think I think you're right in that the there was this, especially in like the early two thousands, even amongst Democrat Democrat strategists, there was this stupid thing of like demographics is destiny, right? Which is obviously stupid and wrong and takes away all agency from anyone. Um but I think people really bought into that and were like, oh, fuck, we're going to lose elections. Like, if we're the right. party of the white people, that's it for us. Like, we're fucking done. Like, Yeah. So, you know, and just to put a pin on it, by 2008, the Republican Party was 89% non-Hispanic white. 89%. That's, gee, if you're in a room of 100 people, uh, <laughs> 89 of them are white guys. Yep. And that's, whoo, that's not a great <laughs> And all of a sudden you're at a Klan rally. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Oopsie well, doopsie, went to the Klan rally again. <laughs> well, at the same time, in 2008, the Democratic Party, still overwhelmingly white, at 63%, was much closer to the actual racial makeup of the United States. And I think that this party makeup by race, uh, which we know class is tied into this all as well, all sort of stuff, it does affect uh, the 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 choices voters make in who to elect as well as you know the choices that elected representatives make based on their constituency which sort of goes in who to whose votes to try and cultivate exactly and you know the opposite is also true applies to the democratic party it applies to the republican party so an overwhelmingly white racial makeup of a political party is going to have an impact on their representatives and priorities it's like audience capture right for fucking not to tie everything back to podcasting because <laughs> <laughs> 
much just just the guy who ties everything back to podcasting that's me just like yeah you know one time i was recording and uh, i also experienced a hate crime you know it's it's just like how i wish i had a cough button and i don't and yeah um anyway (laughs) yeah anyway audience capture is i think it's a i think it's a good analogy overwhelmingly white makeup of a political party is gonna have an impact especially when overt racism is consolidated in that party due to its overwhelmingly white makeup, right? I don't think it's a huge surprise to say that the racists would gravitate towards the whiter party who is pandering to white people. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, again, we always have to give the caveat, right? There is racism within the Democratic Party. There is racism within leftism, progressivism. It's everywhere. There are biases we have not confronted within ourselves that we have to take time to try and deal with. All this exists. Are you but saying there's racism within this podcast? There is. I I cool. called John Chu, Don, John Yu, didn't I? Probably, yeah. Didn't I do that? Or yeah. other way around? I don't remember which Something, one Something, yeah. Uh, so you have this concentration of white voters, which includes a concentration of white racists, just by necessity. Right? That's just how, how groups work. You know, if you're going to have more whites there, you're going to have more white racists there. In addition to the Republicans openly courting them. And that starts to shift party priorities over time. Then comes along a catalyst in a traumatic moment in U.S. history with 9-11, which sort of primes the public to be susceptible to xenophobic outlooks in general, right? That was the general feeling coming out of 9-11, was Mm -hmm. it's us against the world. Um, Then overt racists, both politicians and commentators, seize on the moment to catapult their agendas. In this case, anti-immigration policies, and I think part of it is what you mentioned, where they saw, holy shit, we're all white, we need to make sure that we keep the white people up so we can keep winning elections. I think that's probably a part of it. And you get into a massive feedback loop that we've been suffering for two decades now, which brings us to the point where wildly racist conspiracy theories are just taken as given by large portions of the right. So, after 9-11, Bush did seek to tighten the southern border by increasing budgets for customs and border patrol, increasing the number of deportations, etc. And in the post-9-11 time period, we saw something that we've talked about before on this show uh, that I've described as the second wave of the militia movement. Uh, if, you, if you listen to that episode, you might remember that I described this second wave of the militia movement as distinctly different than the 80s or early 90s militia movement in the way that it framed his goals as being in support of the United States rather than in opposition to it. Mm-hmm. And I think you can look at our militias who have made headlines recently. The, like mer- the, the militias that love our cops and troops. Yes. Like, what the fuck? The Oath Keepers, right? Yeah. The name itself, the oath that they're keeping. Like, it, it, it's you can see it there. But post 9-11, some of these militias took up the same idea that David Duke had had in the 70s of forming border patrols for undocumented immigrants. And now... You, not under any circumstances do you have to hand it to George W. Bush. But he did verbally state that he was opposed to this type of activity, which caused somewhat of a right-wing media kerfuffle because a lot of folks like on Fox News and Rush Limbaugh were supporting these racist vigilantes at that time, uh, and they were very upset that Bush said he was against it. He said, quote, I'm against vigilantes in the United States of America. I can't do a Bush voice. It's no, not that's, my, that wasn't it's good. not in my range. I'm for enforcing the law in a rational way. That's the best I can do. Uh, but that certainly didn't stop anyone, right? I've, I've said a number of times that the right has a masturbatory fantasy about committing justified violence, and mm-hmm. that's just right in this realm here. That's, that's where this all is. So 
they all think that they're going to go catch cartel smugglers in the desert and have a heroic gun battle or something that saves them. Including Steven Seagal. Including Steven Seagal. He's, he's already done it. We know. We know he's already done it. Um, yeah, when he killed that dog. <laughs> oh, boy. So one of these groups was an organization called Ranch Rescue. Uh, that claimed to be helping assist ranchers and owners of property near the border in protecting their land. From what? From uh, (laughs) the Mexicans. From them. The them is the Mexicans this time. Uh, So on March 18th, 2003, ranch rescue members caught two El Salvadorian migrants named Fatima. I'm going to be so bad at doing this name. Is it Fatima or Fatima? Fatima. Okay, how you said it. Del Cesaro Leiva Medina. Do you want me to do it? <laughs> Please do. Please Fatima, do. <laughs> Fatima del Cesaro Levina Medina. Okay. And Edwin Alfredo Mancia Gonzalez. That one I can that do. One I don't fine. know why those two names are so different levels of difficulty for me. Um, because you're a racist. <laughs> but they chased them through the desert, uh, detained them at gunpoint, and beat them with the butt for of a fuck's rifle. For sake. Yeah. Uh, this resulted people? in a lawsuit by the two El Salvadorians, Good, I hope uh, they which won. they did win, uh, and resulted in the dismantling of Ranch Rescue as a functional group, which good. is a good thing, objectively good thing. Another group was the Minuteman Project, led by a man named Jim Gilchrist, uh, who has claimed that the U.S. is under threat of Latinization, which I thought would be a funny way to describe a wave of Gregorian chanting taking over the country's popular <laughs> so music scene. <laughs> That's the only Latinization I want to hear about. Uh, <laughs> and uh, another man named Chris Simcox, who has said of immigrants that, quote, they have no problem slitting your throat and taking your money or selling drugs to your kids or raping your daughter, and they are evil people. Anyway, I'm going to go hit this woman with the butt of my rifle. So. <laughs> different group, different okay. group. Well, whatever. Uh, probably, you know what I mean. unsurprisingly, uh, neo-Nazi groups like the Aryan Nations and National Alliance began recruiting for the Minutemen Project, uh, and several National Alliance members, at least, at the very least, uh, took parts in their efforts on the border, which the SPLC documented. Now... Simcox and Gilchrist did claim that they had banned these groups from participating in any of their uh, activities and told reporters that they were working with the FBI to do background checks on all their participants. <laughs> of course, since they were lying about the working with the FBI part, uh, you might as well take it as a given that they were lying about the banning those groups part too, uh, especially since, as I said, the SPLC did verify that at least two National Alliance members did participate in Minutemen activities. Uh, Simcox himself, he also was a co-founder of another group called the Minuteman Civil Defense Corps with a man named J.T. Reedy, who was an open neo-Nazi and a cool, member yeah, of the that National makes Socialist sense. That movement. checks out, believe yep, that. Yep, uh, who committed a mass murder-suicide of himself and four others in 2012 while he was running for Benedict, Sheriff of Pinal County, Arizona. Why are they always running for sheriff? I know it's Arizona. They think the sheriff is a king. They think the sheriff is a king. I know. know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And uh, Chris Simcox was convicted of child molestation in 2016 and is serving a 20-year prison sentence for that right now. Uh, But one of the more horrifying cases related to border militias, uh, not counting, you know, I'd say the unknowns that we don't know, murders in the desert and the like. Um, in 2009, a group calling itself the Minuteman American Defense... They all like the Minuteman name. I don't know why they all choose it. it it's really lazy. But who, Minuteman, are the, who are the... The Minutemen were like anti-British folks? Or? Yeah, they were like uh, militias. Uh, oh, okay. Militias during the, the revolution. Uh, but the Minuteman American Defense uh, was run by Jason Eugene Bush and Shauna Ford. 
And on May 30th, 2009, they and another man named Albert Gaxiola went to the home of Raul Flores and Gina Marie Gonzalez in Aravaca, Arizona, claiming that they were Border Patrol, this is the middle of the night, uh, looking for fugitives. They believed that Raul was involved in drug smuggling and planned to take whatever cash and drugs that they found at his home in order to fund their group. After finding no drugs or cash, mm. they shot Raul and Gina, Jesus as well as their nine-year-old daughter, <laughs> Brisenia. Fuck. Um, Did they Gina's, die? I'll get to it, yeah. Uh, uh, Gina survived the shooting, despite being shot three times by playing dead. Uh, and once the murderers left the home, she ended up calling 911. There is audio of that call. I am not playing it. It is no. heartbreaking. Um, there is a 40-minute Vice piece about this story, which is pretty well done for a Vice documentary dealing with a traumatic subject. They aren't exactly known for their subtlety, uh, yeah. but I'll link it in the notes if you want to see it. It's pretty good. I watched the whole thing, and it, it's it's pretty good. Uh, but uh, uh, Raul and Brisenia did die in the attack. Gosh. Uh, so... Uh, because Gina survived, uh, she was able to identify her attackers. They were caught. Uh, Bush and Ford were both sentenced to death and are still on death row in Arizona, while Gaxiola got life in prison. So that's one end of the anti-immigrant spectrum, right? Hardline, violent white supremacists looking to kill or threaten or do whatever they have to to maintain a white America. Mm -hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have what I think is actually more dangerous and threatening, which is the everyday brain-melted Republican base inculcated with talking points about invading hordes and caravans, which brings us more into the modern-day reality of the anti-immigrant impulses on the right, right? It should be said that Obama was no friend to undocumented people, right? While he pushed for and failed to get amnesty passed in the United States, his administration saw the highest number of deportations in U.S. history even more than the Trump administration. What sets Trump apart, despite... That's presumably a, like a ratio thing as well. Uh, yeah, I, I could be. But what, tr what sets Trump apart, despite an overall fewer number of deportations, is the intentional cruelty that was inflicted under his administration, right? We all lived through 2016, mm -hmm. unless we have a six-year-old listening, you know. In, in which, which case, case, turn it off! Yeah, you what should are you not doing? to this show. This is for adults. But I think we all remember that Trump set out pretty purposefully to utilize hatred of non-white immigrants for his political ends. Everyone's just I, memory holds the Muslim ban also. Like, that yeah. was an actual thing that happened. And everyone's like, oh, well, he'd never actually okay, do that. No, he here's tried the thing to. that always hits me that people have memory hold. When Trump suggested that we have a registry for Muslims. Yep. Does everyone forget that? Why does that not get mentioned more? Yeah. He wanted to register human beings for being a certain religion. Yep. Like, that's... Not great, man. No. Really not great, man. But Historically, has a bad precedent. Yeah. I don't think that Trump ever actually cared about a border wall, except in as much as he got applause for mentioning it at rallies. He right? did try and fill a moat with crocodiles, though, and put it in front of the border, which, you know, is the yeah, most Trumpian thing. Yeah, you but know, you, you get what I'm saying. I don't think it was actually— Oh, I don't think he believed anything. If I was anything. to find out what the man cares about internally— I don't think he gave a fuck about the board. It's wall. it's fucking McDonald's and Coke. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I. But the people he put around him, the ones who Stephen actually Miller. Came up with you mean things. Stephen Miller? I'm. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Stephen Miller in a second. I have said a lot that the real turning point in the American right was when the inmates began to take over the asylum. Um, a lot of the hatred and vitriol and nonsense within the right used to be a top-down effort from folks like Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly and all that horde of cretins over there. 
But at some point, the people who were raised on all the extremist talking points that they were pushing came into the age where they were now becoming the leaders of the movement and began pushing their own original quote-unquote ideas and policies based off the hyperbole they had been spoon-fed to gin up anger and win their votes. So the border wall, the deportation force, child separation, these are the fruits of the right finally being overtaken by itself. Stephen Miller did not spring fully formed as a racist version of Dr. Beaker from the Muppets. He was raised on a steady diet of outrage porn, virtually the same as I was raised on that turned me into a right-wing shitlord. He's only six years older than you and me. And that fucking sucks. <laughs> he does have slightly more hair than you, though. He but, does, yeah. And that, it actually, it makes me sad when people are like, ha ha, this guy's only 38 and look at his fucking head of hair. And then I'm like, and they're like, this is what slightly, being evil does to you. you. They're like, this is what being evil does to you. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I'm not his, evil and I have worse hair. <laughs> his formative years during high school and college were in the thick of the pot overboiling with these racist sentiments. So when the crowd cheers and chants build the wall, you can understand why people raised on that hatred can see themselves breaking into Raul Flores' home in the middle of the night and murdering a nine-year-old girl as the heroes of the United States, yeah. as champions of upstanding, moral, white society. And that's the cool. episode, by the way. Okay. That was the emotional uptick. That it would have been you, better if was... you hadn't interrupted my flow towards the end there. I'm going to give you a critique on the air right now okay. that you should know how I plan out these episodes ahead of time, even though I don't share my outline with you. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that is Anyways, something so I would like the listeners to know is that I've never heard any of this before, as Kevin <laughs> says it. And even so, if you shared it with me, I wouldn't read it. So I think there was one I shared with you ahead of time because it was a topic that you were worried about. I don't remember what it was, but yeah. I know there was one. Uh, but anyways, Benedict, so... You know, that, that's where it all comes down, is that I do not think there is a solid answer on when did the right turn against immigration. Because we, the right is not a monolith. There exist variations within it. Most of it is toward the harder right fascist end of the spectrum now, these days. But, you know, that you can't really pinpoint any time that, that something happened that caused them to do this. There are individual cases I could have brought up that were highlighted by right-wing media. Um, there was the case of uh, that homeless man in uh, San Francisco who picked up a shirt that was wrapped around a gun that fired off and killed a young woman who happened to be white, that people like Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones turned into it being a hate crime, despite that not matching any of the facts of the case whatsoever. Alex Jones went on his show and screamed about how he, Molly Tibbetts, I think was her name, um, how he saw her walking around. He saw this beautiful white woman, and he was so jealous, and he just had to kill her. When that's that the has nothing to do with what actually happened. Like the evidence showed that the bullet had hit the ground and ricocheted. The guy didn't even know there was a gun wrapped in this thing he had picked up. There are all these sort of incidents that, when they happen, any incident of of violence committed by someone who's undocumented or an immigrant that gets picked up on and pushed and highlighted and shoved down the throats of the right to create hatred and vitriol. Um, Remember when they were, again, going to create a fucking, like, list of immigrant crimes again? Yeah. Yeah. That that was, I mean, that comes from, and this Nazism. is Nazism. <laughs> yes, but also I would say it comes from Donald Trump being a brain-melted boomer who exists on Fox News. 
where people start to believe that that is a legitimate trend, that there is a problem of immigrant crime in this country or something like that. And the reality of it being that, no, crime correlates most strongly with fucking poverty. And if we did something to lift these people out of poverty, we would do much more for the crime problem than we would with these fucking deportations. Yeah, but that forces. sounds complicated, so... Yeah, it does sound complicated. So I guess we can't deal with it. So... <laughs> yeah, you are. Anyways, Benedict, uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early release of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Dapper Dinosaur, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson-Fetro, Torian the Gallant, Amy Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S. I love it when Jordan yells out, thank you very much. Also goes on the NYGBC podcast. Little Flick, Black Weasel, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week where our guest will not be Stuart Rhodes as he has an 18-year scheduling conflict. <laughs> Every week you get me. Every week you get me. You're so good. You're so good. Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Clifton Stuckey, Paws Loves NYGBC, A Restless Native, A Baby, Wah. Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Stefan, Shark Belly, Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Dickie Z Blasphemy, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Takanan, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, fuck you, Pat Buchanan. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.